Good evening, class. It is 7.45. It is time for Bible study to begin. Okay, well, welcome back. It is time for a new year and a new series of Bible studies. And I've given this a lot of thought. I had sent some uh, emails out asking for some input. Didn't get any back. So once again, you have put yourselves in my hands uh, to uh, teach you and to guide you through the Bible in 2022. And as I was thinking and praying about it, um, really began to feel a, a, a push, a burden, whatever you want to call it, to uh, talk about some of the people and the stories uh, from the scriptures and and how I was thinking about it this way, and I hope this comes out. I hope it makes sense. But uh, I was reading not oh, it was probably a couple years ago, but I was reading uh, a little a little piece of information there on on some website or some newspaper or something that since the dawn of civilization, so think. 5,000 years ago or so, about, you know, about the, about the 3,000 BC is when they figure uh, Fertile Crescent, the Sumerians, those people, where people began to write things down. So uh, maybe people were writing things down before that, but as far as they know, you know, writing, written language, is about 5,000 years old. And in that time, that 5,000-year period, there's no, it's impossible to really know how many books have been written, how many letters, how many stories that have been written down over the generations. One person estimates, and I don't know how they get up with these numbers, but one person estimates that in the last 5,000 years, 40 billion people have been born on planet Earth. And out of that 40 billion people, 8 billion of them are alive today. So if you're good at math, that's 25% uh, or only 25% of all the people who've ever lived, or at least who've lived over the last 5,000 years, are alive today. That means 75% of the people uh, aren't with us. So how do we know anything about them? How do we know what life was like 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago? And how do we know? We know because they wrote it down, because we have the histories and the stories and the uh, letters and the, 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 the carvings and the hieroglyphics and all of those things that convey that information, that preserve the information of, uh, of, of people from you know, kings and princes and emperors to, uh, you know, to very common people like uh, you know, butchers and, and uh, accountants and clerks who you know, wrote down that, you know, so-and-so had, uh, you know, four, uh, you know, four barrels of olives uh, delivered today, that kind of thing. And when we think about our Bible, this precious book, this precious information that was preserved by the hand of God, by the divine uh, superintendence of the Holy Spirit, it's a very, it, it, it's a microscopically small fraction of all the things that have ever been written and tells the stories, you know, when you, when you, when you boil the, the Bible down, you can, you can basically uh, maybe identify 40 or 50 people out of that 40 billion that 
God interacted with in such a way that their story, their life, their experience was to be preserved and passed down generation to generation as part of the revelation of God. And as I was thinking about that over the, and really what got me started on it was just thinking about uh, the different people involved in the birth of Jesus. When, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think, you know, I don't know, the shepherds were not given names, but if you had told one of those shepherds on that night in Bethlehem that, you know, 2,000 years from now, <laughs> some some little child is going to dress up in their daddy's, you know, bathrobe and put a towel on their head and and play one of you guys in a Christmas play, uh, that your story would still be part of the revelation of God to the world. Uh, I don't know what they would have thought of that. I don't even know if that would have that would have even registered in their mind. When I think about the woman who uh, came to Jesus in tears and washed his feet and and, and broke the, the box of the expensive box of perfume. Uh, and when Jesus said, you know, about her, you know, everywhere this gospel is preached, her story is going to be told. I mean, that that's, to me, I don't know if it strikes you the same way, but that's just, it, it's incredible how, how rare it was for people to, to have an experience with God that was so critical, so important, even though it may not have seemed so at the time, that it would become the foundations of our faith and the faith of billions of people over the years. And so this year, in 2022, I want to tell some of those stories. And um, I want us to see the Bible as more than just this collection of uh, do's and don'ts, or this this handbook. I, uh, in, in my new position, my secular job, uh, I kind of have uh, a responsibility of of reviewing our company's manual and, and employee handbook. I, I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about. If anywhere you probably ever worked, probably your first day or your first week, they they would give you this employee handbook or this employee manual and they would they would tell you what the different company policies were you know and how many sick days you could get and you know all, just the basic details of of uh, policy and procedure and I'm afraid what we've done in the church uh, is kind of reduce the Bible to just this sort of handbook or manual, uh, you know, just look up the 10 rules for this or the five scriptures for that. And by doing that, uh, not that that's not helpful, it is, but by doing that, we're really shortchanging ourselves on the incredible stories and the incredible events that produced the Ten Commandments, that produced uh, the, the the different things that we look at that way. So this year, I really want to talk about some of those stories, some of those people, and uh, you know what they went through, and why what they went through was chosen by the Holy Spirit to be part of the Word of God. And I want to be careful in some of the language that I, I use. I want to be I want to be clear. You're going to hear me say stories. And to a lot of people, they hear the word stories, and they automatically associate that with some sort of embellishment or fiction or myth or legend. Uh, you know, you, you go to see the you go to the movie to see the story of whatever Superman or Spider Man or, or or something like that, and you know it's made up, and so. I want us to be careful there uh, in using that word. I want you to understand when I say story, I, I mean it not in the sense of something that is 
just told to make a point, but the actual events, the real life experiences of real people. Uh, you have a story. I have a story. You know, I could tell you a story about my week that would curl your hair so far. I, you know, it wasn't until about three o'clock this afternoon that I even had any real confidence that I would be on this call tonight. This is the kind of week it's been. So we all have events and things that happen to us and we experience and we go through, and that's our story. And when we look at the Bible, those are real people going through real experiences, but their story somehow became part of God's story. And if we define the Bible as the story of God, uh, I think we, we do we, we do it justice because it really is making the connection between the things that have happened and are happening and how they fit in with the overall revelation and the overall history of what God is doing in the world. And so that's going to be our kind of our focus and our our at least for the for the beginning part of the year. Um, I would still welcome any suggestions or comments. We could take a break once in a while and cover a different subject or a different uh, idea. If something pops up, we cover something. You say, hey, I want to talk more about that. As always, this is as much your time as it is my time. And I always respect that. I always enjoy the give and take, the back and forth, the questions, the comments. And I very much would appreciate uh, your participation. And if you're one of the ones that just likes to put your phone on mute and just listen and enjoy the class, that's okay too. I promise this year to try very hard not to beat you up too often uh, for, for not, you know, for not joining in. It's okay to just listen, but uh, this is your time, and this Bible study is for your benefit as well as mine, and I want you to get as much out of it as we possibly can. All right, so we're going to start. You can imagine with the story of Adam and Eve. So you're going to want to open your Bibles to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And uh, when I think about, um, you know, I mentioned earlier about the, the sort of the history of writing, the history of writing things down and, you know, the civilizations that came and that went. So one of the things we all enjoy uh, is to know how did it all get started. At least I enjoy, it, you know, my favorite, uh, you know, part of any, you know, superhero movie is, you know, the origin story, right? How did, how did Superman become Superman? How did Spider-Man get his powers? How, you know, I, I like that, you know, it's, it's always fun. Uh, I, I like the stories, you know, and in, in the, uh, the different biographies and the different uh, historical people, the Lincolns and the Churchills and, uh, you know, the people like that. I, I like to go back to their, you know, their beginning of that story, see how they became the people that they, that would change the, you know, the destiny of nations and, and the world. So I think we all enjoy a good origin story and there is no, more important origin story than the origin of the human race. And I'm sorry, was that a question? Okay, I heard somebody talking there, but I guess it wasn't a question. Um, so Genesis chapter 1. Verses 26, beginning of verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. 
Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. If we jump ahead in the story to chapter 2, verse 15, we read, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she is taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. All right, so the story of Adam and Eve is the origin story of the human race. Let me just begin here with a couple of things that's probably occurred to you by now. One is that evolution and you know, other scientific type of studies uh, have some, uh, have cast some questions or doubts on whether uh, Adam and Eve were real people. I'm here to tell you tonight that I believe that there was a real Adam and a real Eve. Uh, I don't see any other way uh, for us to be here. We had to come from somewhere. We had to come. Somewhere in time, there was a first human man and a first human woman. Uh, I believe science has demonstrated that all humans alive today carry the genetic markers of one particular woman, Eve, uh, in their DNA. That's passed down. Uh, we're all related. We're all part of that human family. And and that's really the thing that I take from, the first thing that I take from this story uh, is that we live you know, in a time of such division, of such polarization, of black and white and brown and yellow and, 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 and the other and the alien and the foreigner and the stranger are such a ordeal for so many, and yet I believe that you know, one of the beautiful things about this story and why it's part of the revelation of God is to teach us and to show us that we are still, after all these thousands of years, one family, one race of people. Uh, you know, whether you're from Africa or or Asia, or Europe, or the Americas, we're all commonly descended from the same pair of parents. And I think, for me anyway, that really kind of helps me understand this biblical idea of who is my neighbor, who who am I commanded to uh, have compassion on? Who am I supposed to be able to find common ground with? So, 
in the story of Adam and Eve, I believe we see the common humanity of every man and woman and child on the planet. I also see here in the first part of this, our relationship to our creator. In this origin, we see that while God made everything, everything that exists, you read chapter one here from the moon and the sun and the stars to the, to the plants, to the, to the animals, to the bugs, to, to the birds, to the fish. God is creator of it all. And yet we as human beings were created. The only ones that were mentioned that were created with this special calling and this special uh, vocation, the special purpose to bear the image of God, to be God's representative, to be God's um, uh, reflection, to reflect the glory of God, to broadcast the glory of God throughout all of his creation. Uh, we can certainly see uh, that many other animals have, uh, and, and other creative uh, items have wonderful faculties and abilities, birds can fly. I mean, just think about that for a moment. That's, that's incredible to me. I, I know we take it for granted, but, you know, this idea that the, these birds can just stretch their wings out and soar through the air to me is, 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 is just amazing. It's unbelievable. Uh, and yet God didn't choose the birds. You know, you think of these mighty creatures, these elephants and and rhinoceros, the lions, the tigers, the bears, they're so powerful, they're, they're so mighty, and yet God didn't choose one of them. You think of some of these creatures that are so intelligent. Uh, you know, the dolphins and the dogs and the, the chimpanzees and the orangutans, and, uh, you know, they're smart. They can figure things out. They can solve problems, and yet God didn't choose any of them to bear his image. He chose us. And as we talk about our common humanity, I think we also talk about this incredible uh, privilege that we have. And with the privilege, of course, comes a tremendous responsibility to uh, manifest that image accurately, correctly, uh, which, of course, we could argue today, most are not doing. All right, the second passage we read. Genesis chapter 2, we see the introduction of the relationship between Adam and his wife, Eve. And uh, you'll notice here up until I think it's verse 19, Adam is simply referred to as the man. The, the, the name Adam doesn't uh, appear until the 19th verse. The Eve doesn't appear until chapter 3. Verse 20, for most of the first couple of chapters of Genesis, they're simply referred to as the man and the woman. Uh, but when we see Adam and Eve come together, here we see the fullness and the completeness of God's plan for us as human beings. And that plan is to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth to take the conditions of the Garden of Eden and make the whole world like the Garden of Eden. And to do that, what did God say? God said it's not good for man to be alone. Uh, it's not a solo project. Humans are called into a social relationship, a relationship with one another. And at the heart of that social system is the home. And at the heart of the home is the marriage, the relationship between a husband and his wife. If you think how many of the, the current problems we have today is uh, in the social arena, the social problems we have, how many of them can be traced back to the home and problems in the home, whether it's a, 
uh, a single parent home, which of course, you know, sometimes that's the best thing you can do. I'm not trying to, I'm not being judgmental about that. It's better to be a single parent than to be in an abusive relationship or be, you know, in, 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 in some other circumstances. But, uh, obviously a broken home, a home that where the father was not, uh, faithful to the mother or the mother was not faithful to the father, a home where there was abuse, a home where there was, uh, uh, some sort of, uh, molestations or some sort of other uh, uh, things that happened and look at how that has called what how that ripple effects that domino effect throughout all of our society when we look at um, just poverty just just think of think of the the situation with think of the situation with what people experience who, you know, live at the poverty level and how much that ties back to the home life, the home environment. We see how deviating from God's plan has brought all kinds of troubles, all kinds of situations uh, that have brought difficulties and brought uh, disaster into many of our cities, many of our countries, many nations suffer. Uh, you know, when we talk about the problem of generational wealth, of passing down legacy, a lot of that ties in with a long, you know, a, a, a marriage that lasts, a marriage that endures, a marriage that, that produces uh, not just one generation, but becomes the foundation for many generations to come. So we can see that God is really in putting man into this situation and putting Adam and Eve into this situation. He, he, he is literally saying it is not good to be alone. Uh, not that, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, I, I've never found the right person or, or, you know, I, I had a beautiful marriage and, uh, you know, the, the spouse passed on. I, I understand that. I'm not, you know, some people say, well, Pastor, you think being single is wrong? No, I don't think so. If, if you don't have a good marriage, be single. <laughs> being single is better than a bad marriage. Being single is better than, uh, than being with the wrong person. But, uh, I think what we are looking at in a general sense is that the, 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 the best happiness, the, the most fulfilled, the most complete, and the most fulfilled that human beings can be is in that very special, monogamous, lifelong social relationship with a true partner, a true helpmate, a true uh, life partner of equal value and equal worth that gives. The home stability is the children's stability, and that stability spreads throughout all of the institutions, the schools and the workplaces and the communities. And I don't think it's, it's I really don't think it's, it's stretching it too far here to say that when God lays this down, and notice the words he used here, for this reason, Man shall leave his father. In other words, the reason why this story is included is specifically to make the point that marriage is an essential part of what God created mankind for and, and what he's called mankind to do in filling the earth and subduing the earth is best done through these social uh, foundations. God creates Adam. God creates Eve. God brings them into this beautiful garden, this wonderful place. He brings them together to enjoy each other, to, to help each other, to minister to each other. Uh, it doesn't take long for the devil to decide he, he's going to mess that up. But if we move just a little bit further down, we'll, we'll deal with 
the fall here in a little bit, but we move just a little bit further down to uh, chapter uh, to the 19th and 20th verses of chapter 3. We see that what was intended to be part of man's vocational uh, blessing, what was intended to be part of his uh, his joy and his his you know his happiness in life becomes a burden because of sin. And when you think about that for a moment, Adam and Eve were not called to just lean. You know, you know, we kind of get this image in the Garden of Eden. Of maybe them stringing a couple of hammocks between a couple of trees and and just you know laying around all day sipping some coconut uh, juice and and just you know eating grapes. That <laughs> you know, they were called to work. Mankind is designed to find fulfillment, to find joy in uh, performing you know fruitful tasks to. To have a passion to build, to have a passion to create, to have a passion to organize, to have a passion to collect. This is part of our nature. This goes back to Adam and Eve. You know, they were no one does well when they're idle. No one does well when when they have no direction and no purpose. You know, uh, I, I was uh, reading a story uh, a few years back about uh, a football player, famous football player. You'd know the name. But uh, he played for many years and had, had done really well and made lots of money. And uh, when the time had come for him to retire, you know, he, he certainly had more than enough money and resources to just go off into whatever, uh, you know, luxurious life, buy a boat, whatever, go go live on a beach somewhere. But you know, he, he's talked about how much of a struggle it was for him just to get out of bed in the mornings because all of his life to that point, he had had purpose. He had had value. He had, he had, he had, had a function in society, a function uh, uh, to perform and to, to contribute to the overall well-being of of the world and uh, to sit back idly and do nothing is very destructive. You know, you find it, you find a lot of it. I don't know. I know some of you have reached retirement age or are close to retirement age and you probably ha have struggled a little bit. You know, if you've passed that threshold of how do I fill my time? How do I fill my days? What do, what do I do with myself? And it's always important, you know, it's not necessarily having to work a job or work for a living, but it's always a, it's a critical part of human nature to have purpose, to have meaning to your life, to do what, uh, you know, what's in you to do, whether that's to fix things, whether that's to make things, whether that's to break things, whatever it is, you know, to sit around idly day after day. Uh, and just, you know, let the, the natural decay processes uh, uh, eat away at your mind and at your body is very destructive. Mankind was created for specific tasks, to be task-oriented, to be, whether it's to care for children, whether it's to tend a garden, whether it's to teach, whether it's to uh, do whatever you, you're called to do. But because of sin, because of the fall, the doing of those tasks, which would have once been a joyful and fulfilling uh, part of our being, part of our lives, became more difficult. It became a, a, a it became a struggle. And I think about it. I was talking to my boss today, and I, I mentioned earlier it's been a crazy week, and we were. Sitting around talking this afternoon, 
And I just told him point blank. I said, you're, you're lucky you got me young. <laughs> you're lucky I got into this business as, as you know, in my you know, 18, 19 years old. I said, if I had walked into this job today, if this had been my first week on this job, I said, I'd be handing you my resignation right now. I mean, this is crazy. This is insane. And, and I'm one of those weird people. I like what I do. I enjoy uh, the challenges that, that I face in the workplace. I enjoy solving the problems. I enjoy completing the assignments and the tasks. But all too often, it becomes such a struggle because of, you know, and I'm not trying to cast those stones, but because of the, the, the carelessness of other people or the, the ignorance of other people or the, the laziness of other people. You know, I, I just, I deal with, you know, uh, I, I, another thing I told him, I said, you know, this would be a great job if I didn't have to deal with all these people, but uh, we're all created for purpose. We're created to find fulfillment in specific uh, task and the performance of certain duties and and that's what gives our life meaning and to be idle to be or to t- or to be committed to doing something or to have to do something that you don't have any passion for or something that you only you know, just frustrates you or just causes you uh, stress or anxiety this is this is part of what that fall means in a practical sense our lives are not only shorter, but they're harder. And when you think about the wear and tear physically, the wear and tear mentally, the wear and tear uh, uh, on relationships, on everything we do, every every part of our life, it's because of this corruption that has seeped in to what should have been uh, a lifelong love of working and of being um, fruitful and of being a contributor to the world around us. Do I have any comments or questions on this part of Adam and Eve's story? Yeah, Bishop. You hear me? Yes. Okay. On the Father says that uh, by the sweat of the brow shall man eat bread. Now, if I'm getting you clear, is this supposed to be throughout his entire life? There's no break for this man, no retirement. As long as there's life in his body, if he lives to be 90, he lives to be 110. This brother got a sweat. Is, is, is that the the gist of the story, or there is room for a cutoff age where his posterity takes up the slack and then we keep paying it forward? Well, the principle of the Sabbath was established a little earlier in the story. We didn't talk about that part. God built into the, the construct a time of rest, a time of relaxation, a time to reap the fruit of your labor. Uh, I think, so when you talk about a retirement, I don't think that a retirement from a particular line of work, I would say absolutely. But just a retirement where we do nothing, where we're just idle, where we have no purpose to our life, I, I don't think that's good for our nature. I don't think it's part of our nature. Uh, you know, there's there, there's an old you know kind of a saying that says, you know, work to live, don't live to work. You know, you a lot of us end up doing jobs that aren't really our passion. So let me just say for the moment, let's say if we if I could wave a wand, if I could snap my fingers and say, don't, it's not about paying the mortgage. It's not about putting food on the table. It's not about having, you know, money for health care or, 
or, you know, vacations or whatever that you could just do something meaningful and purposeful and, and valuable, not only to yourself, but to your family and to the world uh, that you really enjoy doing, that you really take pleasure and take a tremendous sense of self-confidence and self-worth out of, I guess my question would be, you know, why would you ever want to, to stop doing that? So I think where retirement comes in, if retirement comes in, we, we spend, you know, 40 years or 50 years doing things we don't necessarily want to do so that we can reach a point of um, comfort or a point of stability where we can spend the last 20, 30 years of our life really pursuing those passions and those those things that really enjoy that have value and worth beyond just putting a roof over our head or just putting food on the table. Does that does that make sense? Does you do I communicate that well? Yeah, I I I've got it. Just that I I was looking at the parallel between the deterioration of the body and mind and the ability to perform. So if that was built into it, you know, you're in your 20s, you want to place physically. In your 40s, you're not a place physically. By the time you turn to your 60s, for most people, it's a question of barely just hanging in there physically. You know, so I was just looking for the parallel between the potential of the body deteriorating or not, and the fact that you still have this commitment to this. Uh, well, we we are we are a very fortunate generation, right? <laughs> the idea of retirement is a relatively recent one in human history, and ages past. Uh, People didn't really expect to live uh, long enough to to enjoy a retirement. You know, this, this idea of reaching, you said 60s or you know whatever it is, 65. I guess is the age now, or maybe it's changed. I don't keep up with it yet. But you know, for for a very long time in human history, uh, you know, there was no refrigeration. There was no public supermarkets, there was no social security, there was there was no Medicaid. So you did have to keep working. You did, you know, you 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 had to keep at least at a minimum tending your own garden and your own flocks so that you would have food to eat. You know, that wasn't you know, this idea of 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 retirement was sort of a modern uh, or I guess not modern, but sort of a more recent development in human history, if, unless you were rich. Obviously, you know, if you were rich, um, you, you could afford to be idle and could afford to, to, you know, pursue whatever. But for most of human history, most people, the 99%, um, you worked as long as you could because your your ability to eat and your family's ability to eat depended on it. But what we've done today is, you know, I, I'm thinking, and some of you know who I'm talking about, but, you know, there's a dear brother here at Lighthouse. Uh, you know, been here, one of the founding members of this church uh, and lived, you know, 98, I think he was 98 when he passed away. And he ended up moving up to Ocala. But the last time I visited him, so this was probably, uh, he's probably 97 or 98 uh, up there in Ocala. You know, so let's say 98 years old, 97 years old. I came in, you know, to the house and he got up and shook hands and he said, you know, come with me. I want to show you what I'm growing. Well, <laughs> You know, at 98 years old, he was still gardening. He was still uh, planting, uh, you know, uh, fruits and planting vegetables. And he was still out there tinkering with his uh, trees and, 
and uh, you know he's still active and still doing things that he enjoyed doing and and I think that's that's really the heart of this is that human beings are created to we call it work I know work's kind of a a, a full word I guess today but I don't mean work in the modern sense we're called to purpose we're called to meaning and uh, you know when you retire you know, you find the things that you're passionate about. You find the things that that still give your life value, still give you satisfaction and fulfillment. And you do those things because you now have the freedom and the luxury to not have to worry about putting the roof over your head anymore. All right. So uh, our last section here, we're going to move to the New Testament, Romans chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Adam and Eve are uh, not only the original pair of human beings, uh, the first people. And let me just say, I know I started it this way. I just want to be very clear. I know people get into arguments about Neanderthals and and Homo sapiens and all these other versions of human beings. Uh, I believe Adam and Eve were the first human beings in the sense of of us, of of who we are, Homo sapiens. Whatever other species of hominid may or may not have been created, um, I, I believe as human beings we we all tie back to Adam and Eve. And so when they fell, and they sinned. When Adam sinned, uh, a part of that connection that we have with them, and the unfortunate part, the spiritual part of that connection that we have with them, is this, we call it a curse, we call it the, the idea of original sin, we just call it the idea that all of us are... Uh, now subject to the power of sin and death, or the law of sin and death is what Paul calls it in Romans chapter 8. So this law of sin and death that he describes here in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, I won't go through and uh, uh, read the scriptures. You can read them yourselves, Romans 5, 12 through 21. But this connection to Adam and Eve on a spiritual level, that even though we may not sin in the same way that they sin, we may not do the same thing they do because of what they did, because of their fall, we are subject to the law of sin and death, and we are uh, in need of the power of Jesus Christ. And when you tie these two pieces together, when we think of Adam and Eve as the original human beings from whom we've inherited all our physical characteristics and from whom we've also inherited these spiritual characteristics, we also have to remember that Jesus himself is a human being. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, calls him the last Adam. So as the first Adam was made of the dust, this last Adam has reversed or undone the process and the power of the law of sin and death. Uh, of course, we see this foreshadowed in Genesis chapter 3, where God tells Eve that it'll be the son of the woman who will crush the serpent's head. And I know sometimes we get a little twisted and a little, a little confused about how it all works, but basically to be human, to be a descendant of Adam and Eve, is to be in need of redemption, that each one of us inherits that nature of the flesh that carnal mind that is at enmity between us, puts enmity between us and God, that natural bend in our nature towards selfishness, towards evil, towards rebelliousness, 
towards willfulness. Uh, it's part of, of the legacy of our original parents, but it's also, and this is the, the thing that Paul emphasizes here, by uniting us all in Adam, God is able to redeem us all through Jesus Christ. Because we have this connection to Adam, because we're part of the Adamic race, because we're part of the family of Adam and Eve, God is able to take one of the members of that family, Jesus Christ, to redeem the whole. Uh, to me, this is critical. This is why it's so important that we see the connection between every human being on the planet and Adam and Eve. And I know I started here, and I'll, I, will, I will end here. When we look at the problem of sin in our world, what is the, what is the, the, the main manifestation of it? It's conflict. You know, we, we look at Cain and Abel, right? The, the main problem we have is when we see someone who looks differently, talks differently, uh, is from a different part of the world or even a different, you know, a different street in the same neighborhood, we have this instinctive conflict, this, this competitive spirit, this, this idea that, uh, that we have to uh, defend ourselves or we have to protect ourselves or we have to overcome the other person. And by seeing the connection that we all have as one people, as one race of human beings, in particular, not only united through Adam and Eve, but united in Christ, because he also is a son of Adam. You go back to you go back to Luke's genealogy, Luke chapter three. You know, he calls Jesus, you know, he goes through that whole Jesus, the son of Joseph, the son of all the way through the son uh, at the very end of it, the son of Adam, the son of God. And it's that biological connection, but also more importantly, that spiritual connection that we have through him that makes it possible for us to be redeemed. If there was any human being or any person, let me put it this way, there was any person on this planet who did not descend from Adam and Eve, how would they be saved? How would they be redeemed? If they're not part of the family of Adam and Eve, they're outside of the covenant blood of Jesus Christ. Our connection to one another is critical. It's essential to our redemption. And I, I, that's, why it's so, that's why it's so hurtful to me. And so, you know, I, I find it so uh, heartbreaking when I see and hear and read about um, these racial and, and, and cultural and, and, you know, hate the foreigner, hate the alien, you know, hate anybody that's different than you, that doesn't look like you or talk like you. It's so, uh, it, it, it's so offensive to what God did in Christ. If someone was truly not like us, then they could never be saved. The only way to be saved, the only way to be redeemed, is through the son of Adam, the son of God. And so that spiritual connection, as much as the biological, as much as the, the historical, it's that spiritual lineage from Adam to Christ that makes, that makes our lives here uh, uh, redeemable, makes us justifiable empowers us and enables us to be saved. Do I have any uh, do I have any comments or questions on this part? I want to reference this. When God started dealing with Israel as his people They kind of live isolated. 
they basically kept to themselves. And there was this distinction between the other peoples of the world and the Israelites to the point where even if an Israeli woman carried a child of a man that was not Israeli, that child was corn. So I'm getting to this point where the bigotry, the prejudice, the racism is as old as time and memorial. And even among God's people in such an early point in human history. Yes. Um, I, you know, I think we have to chuck, I think we have to, you know, put that down to the one of the consequences of sin, right? So as soon as, you know, what, what was the first, in you know, the next story, the Cain and Abel story, we'll talk a little bit about Cain and Abel next week, but, you know, even though that wasn't a racial conflict, <laughs> it sowed the seeds, right? It sowed the seeds of, I can't let this guy get ahead of me. I can't let him find favor where I don't. And, you know, race became a very convenient excuse to say, well, you know, this, these people look like us and those people don't. So let's, you know, let's protect the ones that look like us and let's attack the ones that don't. But, uh, you know, the, the root of it, the hatred, the, the bigotry, the prejudice at the root of it, it's not about the other person, right? It's about ourselves. It's that self-interest, that selfishness, that that lack of connection that we feel to other people. You know, when I look at you, when I look at Sister Marjorie, when I look at uh, you know anybody else in my congregation, or anybody else that I work with, or anybody else that I meet on the street, you know, how do I respond to that? Do I see you as someone different from me? Or do I see you as someone as the same as me? And I think this is one of the great things that Christ has done for us all, because he has, he has sort of brought back that not male, not female, not Jew, not Greek, not slave, not free mentality, that we're one in Christ Jesus. And, and you know, you talk about the, the racial divisions and the hatreds and the problems that people have. Um, I, I think, as always, <laughs> you know me, as always, Jesus is the answer. If we see our connection through Adam, then we will see our connection through Jesus. But as long as we continue to, to and, and we in the church, brother, you know, and I, you and I have had this conversation many times just between you and me. You know, the church has been a guilty party. You know, the, the church has done as much to perpetuate the problem as anybody. You know, we talk about having black churches and white churches and Spanish churches. And, and we don't mean anything bad by it. But yet it reinforces that idea that there's not one church, there's two churches or there's three churches. And that just carries over into the world. Well, why don't you go worship with your kind and we'll worship with our kind? Well, what do we say? Is there more than one kind? <laughs> there's just there's just one kind of person. Now, cultures, you know, some people like want to hear the gospel in their own language. I understand that. They want to sing songs in their own language. I understand that. I'm not condemning. I'm not judging anybody for it. I'm just saying that you know, we have to be part of the solution. And it starts with Adam and it ends with Jesus. And it's up to you and me and all like-minded believers to keep reminding us that we're all descended from one person and we're all saved by one person. <laughs> it, it, and it doesn't matter. The black and the white of it don't matter. The, the, the language doesn't matter. The culture doesn't matter. It, it's 
If you're of Adam, then you need to be of Christ. If you're of Christ, then you're of Adam, and it's it's one. It's just one thing. And I know it's a radical message. I know people still fight it in and outside the church. I know the world is never going to get it. But, uh, you know, you and I have uh, committed ourselves, as Paul did, as Peter did, as John did, to what Paul called the ministry of reconciliation. You know, all we can do is refuse to be part of the problem and choose to be part of the solution. And uh, will we change the world? Probably not. But we'll, you know, when we stand before God, we'll hold our heads up high and we'll say we did the best we could. All right. Um, okay, so what do you think? Do you like this uh, as a Bible study project? Did you enjoy it? Or do you want to go a different direction? Yes, enjoyed very much, Bishop. It's so incredible to know our history as God's people. You know, it's so important for us to know it. It it, uh, makes life easier for us because we understand who we are, the price that was paid for our redemption, and uh, how we are different. So that's very, very, very important for us to know our history. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. I remember growing up, I don't know when we got away from this, but I remember growing up, you know, my favorite part of Sunday school, my favorite part of children's church was story time, right? I, I love to hear the stories. The Daniel in the lion's den, the Gideon, the the Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho. All, you know, I always enjoyed the drama or the humor or or the pathos or whatever was part of that story. And uh, when we look at our Bible this year, um, you know, I've always had I've had the custom for for uh, many years of reading a new version or a different version of the Bible each year. I usually pick a Bible out, you know, in the holiday season, and that'll become my devotional Bible for the following year. I didn't do that this year. Uh, instead, I picked up one of ones that I did uh, probably about 10 years ago. It's the chronological Bible. I don't know if any of you have a chronological Bible, but uh, I, I, you know, I started my devotions to read through the Bible chronologically, uh, meaning that instead of you know Genesis to Revelation in order, it will be by time period. So all of the all of the uh, books or all of the stories in the Bible that are part of the, the days of uh, Abraham will be in that section, and part of the days of David will be in that section. So uh, as we go through these stories, you know we'll we'll see the connections between all of the different parts of Scripture. Like for example, tonight we're you know we're able to see the connection between what happened in the Garden of Eden, however many thousands of years ago, with what happened at the cross and what happened in the days of the Testament believers. And so, uh, I love to see those different parts of the Bible come together and and become part of uh, uh, part of my understanding, and I hope part of your understanding. Of, of how this revelation of God uh, brings to life these special uh, stories and these special events and makes them uh, relevant to us today. And I can't think of, you know, you say, well, you talk about Adam and Eve, Pastor, that's so long ago, what difference does it make now? But we just, we saw in tonight's class, it makes all the difference in the world. You can you can point at almost every problem we have in our society today and trace it back to to that life, to those lives. I didn't mean to give Eve uh, short shrift tonight. We, we'll talk about her. Uh, she's a part of this too. But uh, this will be our project this year 
Uh, from time to time, I will be passing out some notes. I can't pass them every week. My schedule's a little unstable right now, but when I can, I'll pass out some notes so you know how I'm thinking. Uh, but as always, it's your time, it's your class, and uh, if you ask it, I'll do my best uh, to, to answer. All right, that's all we have for tonight. Good night, everyone. God bless. We'll talk with you next week. <laughs>